You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. All right, so welcome. Good evening. If you guys want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, or your electronic devices, whatever you want. Um, and if you're new, there's pew Bibles uh, there you can use. But we'll be in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. And we are continuing our study of 1 John called Simple Truths, where we're looking at the basics of our faith and seeing how they impact our lives, how doctrine changes us, how it leads us to worship, leads us to live differently. Uh, now, just something for you guys to know. I had originally planned on preaching uh, verses 13 through 15 uh, of the fifth chapter of, of 1 John. Uh, but on Friday morning, I decided that verse 13 was too important and stood alone. But it was, it was too important to try to cram in with a couple of other verses. I wanted to devote a lot of time to, the, to this 13th verse of this chapter. Uh, so some of you guys are going to be glad to know uh, this sermon is probably going to be a bit shorter than normal, right? So good for you guys, uh, you jerks. Uh, but, uh, but tonight we're going to be talking about the doctrine of assurance, this is a huge theme that we've went over multiple times in this letter in different ways, right? Once before, we've talked about how we can have assurance of our salvation if we obey the commandments of God. Other times, we've talked about how you can have assurance of your salvation if you love your fellow Christians. But this time, John does not talk about assurance through obedience, and he does not talk about assurance through loving our fellow Christians. But John talks about the fact that assurance is the God-given right to the one who believes on Christ, to the one who believes. John emphasizes in this verse that faith is the fountainhead and bedrock of all true assurance of salvation. But assurance is something that is vitally important to the life of the Christian. The assurance of salvation is incredibly important for us. But sadly, many genuine believers lack this comfort Lack this grace from God. Even people here at Revolution Church go back and forth on this, right? As much as we preach the perseverance of the saints, I, I sit down with some of you guys, or I hear stories of some of your conversations with other people, because everyone likes to talk behind your back. Um, come on, that was a joke. I'm just, I'm being funny. Um, but I, I hear, I hear from, right, out of your own mouths, that you go back and forth on your, am I really saved? How do I know that I'm saved? Right Back and forth, Am I, how can I be sure? And I talk to you guys about this, and I certainly pray for you guys about this. And this is no small matter. Right? Assurance of salvation is no joke. I would argue that assurance is the key, or is key, to our experiencing genuine peace with God in this life. Right? So hear me on this. You can be saved without having the full assurance of salvation. Right? You guys should read Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners by John Bunyan. I always want to call him Paul Bunyan, but he didn't have a big axe and a blue ox named Babe. But the Puritan John Bunyan, not Paul Bunyan, he wrote Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And he talks about how he goes years of his Christian life and never was fully convinced that he was saved. Right? So some people can go their whole lives without really having the assurance of salvation. But hear me on this. God has so much more for his people than a life of wondering whether or not we're saved. He has so much more for you, Christian, than a life of fear. 
and servile obedience. All right, this is a doctrine that is incredibly personal to me, if you guys know anything about me, um, or I've talked to you about this. Assurance of salvation is something that I've struggled with a lot since my conversion. How do I know that I'm actually saved? I sin. A Christian, shouldn't, a Christian wouldn't do this kind of a thing. How could a Christian struggle with the same sin for years? Right, these kind of thoughts, right? And I've dealt with this stuff. How, how can I know that I'm saved? But again, hear me on this. You can come to the absolute realization and knowledge that you are really truly saved. This is possible for you. We can actually know that we have eternal life. And that's what we're going to be looking at this evening as we take a look at this one verse from John. So with that being said, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, for keeping it from generation to generation for us that we might receive it uncorrupted. Lord, help, the, help us to take this one truth and apply it. Lord, if there is anyone here under the sound of my voice that is not sure whether or not they're saved and they indeed belong to you, Lord, please, please grant them assurance. Speak to them by your Holy Spirit through your word this evening that they may leave here this evening knowing that they're saved. Lord, likewise, if there are unconverted people or, or false converts among us here this evening that think that they're Christians and they're really not, I pray here that they would leave understanding their perilous situation before you, that they are lost, that they might run to the Savior in Christ. God, please soften our hearts that we might receive your word this evening. This one simple truth from the scriptures. Please bless us in the hearing of your word. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so in this verse, John states his purpose of writing the letter, right? This is something that I really like about John. John is known for this. Uh, he does this in his gospel as well as this letter. So in, in the gospel of John, chapter 20, he says, uh, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. He's wrapping his book up. Uh, which are not written in this book, but these are written. What I have written, right? These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name, right? So that's what he writes toward the end of his gospel, right? As he's wrapping it up, I have written these things to you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life, Right? So John wrote his gospel, so uh, his, he wrote his gospel singular, so that unbelievers would read it and then believe the message about Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, that he, was, he lived and died and was raised from the dead in place of sinners to secure their salvation, right? and, that, and believing that they would be saved from the wrath of God, that the eternal life would be theirs. But John pins this letter, right? This letter he writes, not to unbelievers. Not so that unbelievers would become Christians, but John pins this letter specifically to people who are already believers, right? You read in verse 13, I write to you who believe, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, right? So these people who are receiving this, right, us, these people have already repented and trusted in Christ to save them. That's John's original audience. And John writes this, letters, this letter to believers so that you may know 
that you have eternal life. John writes to encourage assurance in the life of the people of God. So whenever I say assurance, I've used that word a lot. When I was little, I used to think people were singing Blessed Insurance, and I didn't know what Geico had to do with anything. Um, Seriously, that's a a real thing that happened. I was always like, what, insurance? Like, if I get in a car accident, the Lord's going to hook me up? Um, But no, whenever I say assurance, right, assurance is to be fully convinced that your sins have been forgiven. To have assurance is to be fully convinced that your sins are forgiven, that Christ is Savior, that God is your Father. To be confident that you are loved by God and that there will be no wrath for you in the life to come. To know that you have eternal life. To be absolutely, unshakably certain of these things. That's what it means to have assurance. I know that I know that these things are mine. And John writes that we might be convinced of these truths. And this is a serious, this is a very simple sermon, guys. This means that God wants you to have assurance if you're a Christian. Right? He wants you to... What a grace from God that He wants us to know that we're saved. He is so good to His people, blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace that we do not deserve, that He wants us to know that we're saved. Just consider this for a minute. God was under no obligation whatsoever to save us, right? That's all. We know that, right? But God, even to take it further, God was under no obligation to give us the assurance of salvation. This is kind of a weird thought. But God could have saved us through the work of Christ and then decided to let us live a life always wondering if we're saved. He could have. Because again, assurance and salvation are, are actually two different things. You can be saved and not have assurance. Right? So God could have saved us and never given us assurance. But in his kindness, he does not do that. God is immeasurably kind towards his people. He wants us to be sure of his great love for us. Right, so get this in, in your head. Having assurance of your salvation is not presuming upon God's grace. It is not being presumptuous about God. It is not arrogant for you to say, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. It is not arrogant to say, I know that I'm not going to hell, and I do not fear hell anymore because it's not for me. That is not arrogance. That is not presumptuous of you because God wants his people to have assurance. Now, the assurance of salvation is actually a huge distinctive in biblical Christianity. This is something that other religions don't have. This is wild. I can't think of, and feel free to correct me after after the service, um, I can't think of any other world religions that have a concept of eternal punishment, but also have a doctrine of assurance. I can't think of any. Well, there's a concept of eternal punishment for the, for the unbeliever, for the, for the wicked, and also a doctrine of assurance. Aside from Christianity, I can't think of one. In most false religions of the world, they go like this. You do this and you do that, and if you're a good enough person, if you do the rituals, if you live a good enough life, then you'll get to go to heaven when you die. But in this life, there is no way to ever know if you're going to make it or not. That's how most false religions work. There is no doctrine of assurance. It's a works-based religion, and you never really know whether or not you're going to go to heaven. Right? Uh, point in case, Islam. Right? If you, if you talk to a Muslim and, and, and they'll sit down with you, uh, they have absolutely no assurance. Because Allah is completely arbitrary. 
Right? You're like, so if you're a faithful Muslim your whole life and you follow him, he goes, yeah, Allah could still send you to hell. It's completely up to him. There's no way for us to know what he's going to do, so we live a good life and hope for the best. All right? Or Roman Catholicism, that would be another example of this, where there have actually been popes that have said it is bad for Christians to have assurance because if they don't have assurance, then they won't work as hard to obey God. <laughs> for real. So these false world religions don't have any kind of doctrine of assurance. But that is not how it is for us. God actually wants us to know. This is a doctrinal distinctive that is particular to the one true faith. Now what's sad about this, what's really sad, and it, it makes me sad and also makes me really angry, I'm not going to lie. What's sad is that even though God desires us to have assurance, many good brothers and sisters in the faith lack assurance. And if you've ever lived any amount of time wondering whether or not you're saved, it is a living hell. You are always questioning, never knowing Always worrying. And I think the biggest reason that genuine Christians lack assurance is because many believe that you can lose your salvation. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why people lack assurance is because they think salvation is something that is won and lost. Right? Most of you guys grew up in this, and you know what I'm talking about. That if you sin badly enough or cross some line, wherever that line is, that's something that no one can really ever give me a good definition on that believes you can lose your salvation. Once you cross that line, wherever it is, your salvation is taken back by God. Right? And if you hold that belief, if you hold that belief, you can have assurance for this moment. Right? Like right now. You can have assurance in this moment whenever you think that you're doing well because you're really not doing as well as you think that you are. But whenever you think that you're doing well, you're, you're pretty sure that you're going to go to heaven. You have a pretty good amount of assurance, but you cannot have full assurance in any meaningful way. You cannot say, if you believe you can lose your salvation, you cannot say today that I know if I live another 50 years, I'm going to die and go to heaven. You can't say it because you believe that you can lose your salvation. By crossing that line, by committing that sin, whatever it is. Now, believing a, that a genuine Christian, someone who has been born again of the Holy Spirit of God and is indwelt by the Spirit, trusting in Christ, to believe that a genuine Christian can lose their salvation absolutely destroys the doctrine of assurance. Absolutely destroys it. You never really know if you're going to be saved in the end because you might blow it on the last day. I used to play a little game whenever I was growing up and I thought you could lose your salvation. I would, I would at the end of the night, pray, Lord, uh, please forgive me for the things that I don't even know that I did today because I'm really scared of going to hell and I may have sinned somehow and you cut the string of my salvation. Please give me a new string. Right? Like I used to do that all the time, like all throughout the day, always hope, kind of like playing beat the clock. Like if I can throw up a prayer asking for forgiveness before I die, like maybe I'll be saved, but that's really my only chance. But again, you'll never really know if you're going to be saved in the end. But, God be praised, the scriptures say that those who have come to Jesus by faith are fully and eternally saved and will persevere in faith to the end. Gospel of John chapter 10 verses 27 through 30, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. 
Jesus says, me and the Father are, are in sync on this. We don't lose sheep. He says, my sheep follow me. I know them. He is the good shepherd. Once you're in his hand, you are not coming out. He does not lose sheep. He is not an irresponsible shepherd. And those who come to him are given eternal life, he says. He says, they come to me and I, I give it to them. And they shall never perish. That is black and white. All who come to me, all who hear my voice and come to me, I give them eternal life and they don't perish. They don't die. They don't suffer the wrath of God. Black and white statement from the Lord Jesus. Not only that, but the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. He says, and those whom he, God, predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Right, so he says, those whom he justified, I'm going to focus on the last couple words. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Right, to be justified means that you've come to Christ by faith, and God has declared you righteous in his sight. Right? So you've come to Christ by faith, you've believed on Christ, you are now right with God. Paul says that those who have been justified are glorified, past tense. Right? But to be glorified means to be sealed in glory, never to sin again. Right? Your sin nature is gone. Essentially, you've gone to heaven is what it means to be glorified. That's, that's a future event, but Paul uses it in the past tense. He says they are glorified, which is to say that those who have believed are as good as glorified. Right? They will be saved in the end. They will continue in faith until death. That's what Paul says. That's what Christ says. Jesus Christ doesn't lose sheep. If you come to him by faith, you are saved. Now, I bring up that truth that someone who, is, who has been genuinely converted will be saved in the end. I wanted to bring that up if we're going to talk about assurance. Because knowing that if God has saved you, that you're actually saved, I think opens the gates to having full assurance of salvation. And without understanding the perseverance of the saints, without understanding what some people call eternal security, without understanding that, those gates remain shut to you forever. But if you're convinced of those truths that once you're saved, if you're saved, you're actually saved for eternity, those gates swing open for you. Again, God wants us to know. He wants us to be fully convinced. If God did not want us to be assured of our salvation, he would not have inspired John to take up the pen and write this letter for the church. But he did. And John says, I write these things so that you may know. But some of you might be thinking, because again, I know some of you guys. I know your struggles with assurance. Some of you may be thinking, I understand that God wants me to know. But what you don't know, David, is what I've done. You don't know what I've done in my past. Right? You don't know the sins that I've committed. You don't know the atrocities that I've committed. You don't know what I've done in the past week, man. You don't know the thoughts that have went through my head just today. Maybe you sit there and you say, I don't feel saved. Right? You ever went through that? I don't feel like a Christian. I don't feel saved. I don't feel like I've received the forgiveness of sin. Let me tell you something. And if you're not feeling this way today, and I hope you're not, but if you're not feeling this way today, put this one in your pocket because you're going to need it down the road because it's going to happen to you at some point. But let me lay this before you. Assurance is more about what you know and less about what you feel. 
It's more about what you know and less about what you feel. Feelings are totally subjective. Right? Feelings are subject to change depending on the day. But knowledge is objective. Right? Knowledge is objective. It does not change. It is true regardless of how you feel. Right? My conservative people in the audience always hear people say, facts don't care about your feelings. Right? That's what we're talking about here. What you know is more important than how you feel. John says he writes, so you may know. Not so you can feel a certain way, but so you might know. And to have assurance, you need to know some things. The first thing you need to know is that Jesus died for you. That is a marvelous sentence. Let that sink in. Jesus died for you, Christian. He died for you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, the first bit says, He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the propitiation for our sins. Christian, know this. Jesus Christ has fully taken on the wrath of God for you. I, I can't get past that sentence. Jesus died for you. Christ died for you. He has been punished in your place. He has taken your sins upon himself and done away with them on the cross. Jesus Christ has made propitiation for you. He has fully satisfied the wrath of God due to you for your sins. He has paid the debt that you owed God that you could not pay for yourself. No wrath remains for you. Because Christ bore it himself. And he died for you. This should make our hearts sing. If you're a Christian, this should make you sing. Utter joy that you cannot describe. To know Jesus died for me. And I am free. Charles Spurgeon said, my theology can be summed up in four words. Jesus died for me. You're free, Christian. Christ tasted death on your behalf so that you might live. He died for you. But not only did he die, Jesus also lived for you. Jesus lived for you. Christ kept the commandments of God perfectly for you in your place. Just as he died in your place, he lived in your place, keeping the law that you daily break. And he kept it for you. He was already righteous in and of himself. He had nothing to prove to anyone. He had nothing to prove for his father. He lived a perfect life of obedience. In him was found no sin. For you. Not for himself. And because of that, Christian, you have an advocate before God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I like other translations a little bit better. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That is your advocate, Christian. On your behalf, Christ stands. On your behalf, Christ pleads. 
As we sing all the time, right? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. Christ pleads on your behalf as your advocate, but Christ does not plead she was a good person. He does not plead she tried really hard. That is not the plea of Christ on your behalf. The plea of Christ is she is a sinner and deserves punishment, but judge her on my life. That's the plea of Christ. Judge her according to what I have done, not what she has done. By my perfect obedience. For I paid for her. I obeyed for her. She is righteous in me and by my work. That's how Christ pleads for you. Not on your own merit. He pleads on his own merit. And that merit has been given to you by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ's righteousness has been given to you. You have been clothed in his perfection and you will be judged in his righteousness, not your sins. He lived for you. And you need to know that what Jesus did in his living, in his suffering and dying, you need to know it is sufficient for you. It is sufficient for you. Jesus' perfect work for you is enough to secure your salvation for all eternity. He obeyed perfectly for you, and he has given you his own righteousness. And also he has suffered God's wrath for you, taking away your sins. There is nothing left for you to do. His work was sufficient. It was perfect. You don't add to perfection. You don't add to what is sufficient. On the cross, Jesus Christ said, it is finished. It is accomplished. Your salvation has been accomplished. So Christian, the beloved of God, why do you fret? Like Stephen sings all the time, now why this fear and unbelief? Why do you doubt? Why? What more could you do to add to his perfect righteousness? What more could you do to add to his atoning death? Nothing. The answer is nothing. It is finished. And you are saved. You may still be thinking, because I know how people are, right? You want to argue with good, <laughs> gospel, gracious truth, right? We're stupid. We want to argue against what God has said, right? But what you still may be thinking, I know that Jesus did this for sinners, I accept that. I believe that he did this for his elect. But how do I know that it is mine? How do I know he did it for me? Point you back to verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. He writes to literally you who are believing. That's how the Greek is worded. It's, it's in the emphatic position of, of the Greek. I'm writing to you who are believing. If you believe, then what he did was for you. It's as simply as I can put it. Don't make it any harder than it has to be. If you believe, then what he did is for you. John does not say, hear me, John does not say, I write these things to you who obey perfectly. He does not say, I write these things to you who love others perfectly, or those of you who had a good week, or those of you whose life is going really well right now. No, 
John says, I write to you who believe. I write to you who are believing. John is stressing to us at the close of his letter that it is by faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved. Please make that a mantra of yours. I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not of myself. John is pushing that to us. You know, God said this also, a very similar thing back in Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 22. It's one of the best verses in Isaiah. He says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, everyone. If you turn to me, you will be saved. John, I think, is echoing in some way what God has said. He's saying, turn to Christ, all you ends of the earth. Turn to Christ, sinners. Trust in Him. Look unto Him and be saved. And turning is no work. Turning implies faith. Turn to me. Trust me and be saved. John is saying, if you've turned to Christ and trusted in Christ, if you have believed in the name of Jesus, then eternal life is yours. And to believe in the name of of someone is to trust them completely. It's to trust completely in who Christ is and what he has done. John says, if you do that, then what he did in his living and dying and resurrection was for you. And if it was for you, then eternal life is yours. And if eternal life is yours, then assurance is yours. This is what John says. Let me be clear about something. I always feel like I have to do my my pastoral job here. John is not talking about just mentally or intellectually agreeing that Jesus did this stuff. That's not what John's talking about. John is talking about true belief. It's something I really try to hammer home because it's something the Bible does, is belief changes lives. True belief changes lives. What you believe alters how you live. So when we repent of our sin and believe that Jesus did this for us, we are saying Jesus is my Savior and Jesus is my Lord. He is God in the flesh. He has full authority over me and He has saved my soul. I follow Him. That's what it means to believe. This means that if we really believe on Christ, we follow Him daily in faith and obedience. And when we sin, and we will sin, we repent. Every day, we repent and believe. Right? Like I saw a meme on Facebook. It was Pinky in the Brain. He says, what are we going to do today, Brain? He says, same thing we do every day. Repent and believe the gospel. Right? That's what we do. That's what the Christian does every day. We repent again and believe the gospel again, and we keep following Christ. That's what we do. That's the mark of genuine faith. So just by way of warning, I want to say it every time we talk about salvation by faith alone. Where there is no obedience and where there is no repentance from sin, there has been no genuine saving faith. So I don't want anyone to leave here with false assurance. Genuine repentance and faith are the forsaking of sin and running after Christ. Looking to Him alone for salvation as you reject your former sins. And again, should you fall into sin, you repent. If that is you, if I just described you, someone who hates your sin, yet you sin, I understand that, but you hate it, you long to be rid of it, you follow Christ in faith and repentance, Assurance and eternal life belong to you. If that's you, 
Eternal life is yours. Assurance is yours. But if you merely agree with the truth about Jesus, then you are just as lost and without Christ as the most hardened atheist. And if that's you, that you do not repent, you do not follow Christ in faith and obedience daily, let me urge you to repent and believe because you will go to hell because you are without Christ. The wrath of God abides on you, but here God says, turn to me, all you ends of the earth, and be saved. Look to my son and be saved. But again, if you have truly believed, eternal life is yours. It is yours. It is yours. Astounding. Right? Consider this. This is kind of a cool way of thinking about it. Um, if you are trusting in Christ and following him, God demands that you have assurance. Right? Like this kind of struck me as I was, I was studying for this. God demands that the Christian have the assurance of salvation. God wants us to re be resolute and say confidently that eternal life is mine through Christ. And I know that God loves me. I know I'm his child. I know he's my father. I know Christ is my savior. And I know that my sins are forgiven. He wants us that way. He demands that we be that. And if we are trusting Jesus and yet doubt our salvation... We are really doubting God's promise to us. It's really what we're doing. I'm not saying you're not saved. But if you doubt your salvation, you're doubting what God has said in his word. That's why Stephen's saying how firm a foundation. What more can he say than to you he has said? Right? To you who for refuge have uh, to Jesus have fled. That's what we're saying. What more can he say? He's promised. And whenever we doubt our salvation, we're not trusting his promise. But consider what a beautiful and light demand from God. Of all the commandments that he's given us. He says, trust me and know that you're saved. What a beautiful, light thing that he asks from us. He's essentially saying, have peace. Take it. Have peace. I demand you. Have peace. What a gracious God we have. So I'll ask you this. Are you convinced, Christian? You ought to be. Right, like I, I imagine, and, and, and not to be irreverent toward the Lord, but I imagine it must be kind of frustrating to God whenever we doubt our salvation. Right, like husbands, you'll know what I'm talking about, or dudes with a girlfriend, you know what I'm talking about. You're sitting on the couch, and your wife looks at you and says, "Do you love me?" Right, and you're like, uh, "Of course I do. Look at this home that I've bought you. Right, look at this house that I bought you." She's like, "Yeah, but do you really love me?" And you're like, um, "Yes." Uh, look at the car that I bought you, right? Look at the fact that I go to work every day to provide for you. Look at how I talk with you every day. Look at how I pray with you, how I read the scriptures with you. Of course I love you. Yeah, but do you really, really love me? And you're like, woman, I married you, right? Like, what more do you want from me? Like, what else can I do to assure you that I love you? I married you, and I try to take care of you. What else do you want? What more assurance of salvation could we want? What more assurance could we want? God sent his son to live and die for us. He has promised us throughout the scriptures that all who turn to Christ are saved. What more could we want? We're being foolish whenever we doubt our salvation. Look to Christ and see the love of God. There is nothing more to be said or done. It is a settled fact. If your faith is in Christ, you're saved, period. Slam the gavel. We're done with this conversation. You're saved. 
But as we come to a close, let me say again to the Christian, whoever here among us who has thrown themselves on the mercy of God found in Jesus Christ, know this, he died for you. What a sweet sentence that that is. He died for you. And he lived for you. And he is sufficient for you. Believe. Trust what God has said. And know that it is true. Eternal life is yours. You have been born again. And assurance is your birthright. So I encourage you, take what rightfully belongs to you as a child of God. I'll leave you guys with a rather lengthy quote. From Charles Spurgeon. He says, Every person who believes in the name of the Son of God has eternal life. We may not doubt this. It is not a matter of inference and deduction, but a matter of revelation from God. We are not to form an opinion about it, but to believe it. For the Lord has said it. It is right for a child of God to know that God is his father and never to have a question in his heart as to his sonship. It is right for a soul that is married to Christ to know the sweet love of the bridegroom and never permit a cloud of suspicion to come between himself and the full enjoyment of Christ's love. Assurance is yours, Christian. Know that you're saved. It's your right by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace that is ours in the Lord Jesus, for the salvation that is ours, for the assurance that is ours as we look to Christ and trust him. Lord, help us to be a people who know know what Christ has done, who do not question your promise of salvation, who are settled in our hearts that we will never suffer an ounce of wrath from you in the life to come, that we will be saved, that heaven is our home, that we will reign with you for eternity because you've graciously given us that promise. Help us to trust you, Lord to rest in your promise. As we continue to seek to live a life of obedience, Lord, I pray that this assurance of salvation would not make us uh, a lazy people who think that obedience doesn't matter, Lord. Because that's not true. But God, let this assurance of salvation give us a greater zeal for obedience because we know what you've done for us. That we'd have a greater gratitude for you and serve you from the heart, not in fear, but knowing that we're saved. Lord, I do indeed thank you so much for the confidence that you give us in Christ Jesus our Lord.